this Isle of Lewis revival, 1949, obscure little island, Isle of Lewis, tiny little village, village of Barvis. Look it up on Google Map. You'll see how just how tiny it is. And um, the account that Mr. Mackay, he's one of the ministers referred to in this account, he would say that there wasn't a single teenager in church. Imagine that. Not a single young person in church. And you could feel the the discouragement of that week after week. You're there at church and not a single young person. No teenager in church. Everything was very formal. Now they still had their catechizing. They still had their learning of the commandments. They still had all of that. But it was very formal, very dead. And not a single teen to be found. And uh, Mr. Mackay said that they tried everything. They tried special meetings. They tried missions meetings, evangelistic meetings, various campaigns of one description or another. They tried it. They tried it all. And I think that we all know the story of these uh, two old sisters. Uh, One was blind and the other was, was very, very crippled. And they were praying and praying for some time. And one of them, I can't remember which one, but their names are Peggy and Christine Smith. By the way, there's some sort of a relationship uh, relation there with Donald Trump, if you, if you know the story. Uh, these are supposed to be the great aunts of Donald Trump, but that's just by the way. But these two women, uh, pretty much homebound, but been praying and felt quite burdened to approach their minister, Mr. Mackay, and very gently, and it's important that it be gently, very gently uh, tell him, you know, you've tried this, you've tried that. Have you tried God? Um, and uh, Mr. Mackay said that it was a very humbling thing, but but he was willing to listen, and and they were suggesting to gather the elders and the church leaders together to start praying, start praying. And so Mr. Mackay said, okay, we will begin every Tuesday and every Friday night, 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., an all-night prayer meeting twice a week. And the sisters, they said, if you do that, we will do that with you at our home. We'll pray from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., Tuesdays and Fridays. So they began to do that. And the interesting thing about his testimony is that several months passed. So it wasn't some overnight thing. Several months passed and nothing happened, but they were continuing in prayer and setting their sails, as it were, to seek the Lord. But there was a a promise that was brought back to the Lord pretty repeatedly, uh, as the account goes. And that's from Isaiah 44, verse 3. That's why 
I had you turn there, Isaiah 44, verse 3. This is the promise that they kept bringing back to the Lord. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. That was the promise that they kept bringing back to the Lord and and their prayers would go something like this. Lord, thou art a covenant-keeping God. This is your promise. Fulfill your promise. Something along those lines. But this this was the, the promise that they brought to the Lord. And of course, as we pray together here, we bring promises like this and other promises to the Lord. And it is important for us to lean hard and basically just stand and stay standing on the promises of God. That's where, that's where we must uh, learn, how we must learn to pray, is we pray back to the Lord His own word. But that was the verse. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. That's referring to pouring out his spirit upon all flesh and God's blessing upon our children. And as they prayed and prayed and prayed for many months, there was one younger deacon in one of those prayer meetings that brought up a verse in his prayer, Psalm 24. That's Psalm 24, verse 4. He brought up this verse, and he read, and he said, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And as the story goes, this man, he he turned his attention to the, the men that were there in the prayer time, This was, I don't know, three in the morning or something at that time. And uh, in desperation, he said something like, Brethren, what we're doing here is just all a bunch of humbug. I think that's the word that they used. Humbug. Um, If our hands are not clean, our hearts are not pure, quoting this verse here. And then he turned his attention to himself in prayer. And he said, Lord, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And it seems like at that point in time, such was the conviction that fell upon all the men in that place. Uh, that seemed to be the turning point of, of when the Lord really did do a great work. And the rest is history. But It started with prayer. Have you tried God? And, you know, we are all part of churches, and we all feel the need. We feel the need to reach the next generation. I don't know what kind of church you all go to. Some of you probably go to larger churches. Others go to smaller churches. And maybe you don't have any teens, or very few teens, or if you do have teens, they, they certainly maybe don't have a heart for the Lord. And the burden is there. The need is there. 
Have we tried God? Have you tried God? That's a good question. And, you know, we'll try just about everything else, by the way. We're very good at trying all sorts of things. In fact, we'll try everything. Um, but as I was talking to a friend this morning, it just seems like the hardest thing in the world, strangely, to get people to pray. And it, in one sense, it's not so strange because it is a spiritual, there is spiritual resistance uh, to God's people praying together. I think we understand that. But um, this, is, this is where we're going to find our answer, friends. But I would, I would just encourage us to, to take to heart those words from Psalm 24, verse 4. Clean hands and a pure heart. What does that mean? The verse itself explains itself in the next little segment. So in the Psalms, you have these parallel thoughts, right? In the verse, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, semicolon, what does that mean? He who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. That's, a, that's what a pure heart means. There's no deceit. There's no duplicity in your heart. There's no false f- falsehood in your heart in the sense of false motive. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we seeking God? Why are we praying? Why are we asking for this? Is it somehow for our own glory? Even though we would never admit that, but is it for our own glory? For our own comfort? Something that's carnal? That's deceit. We would deceive ourselves. A pure heart. Clean hands. Not lifting up our souls to vanity. Other translations have that to to import the idea, idea of idolatry being in our hands, something that we're clinging to. Our hands have to be freed up, totally clean before the Lord. Our trust is in Him and in Him alone. We're not trusting in anything else or anyone else not lifting up our soul to vanity. No idolatry. Don't don't deceive your own hearts. No falsehood, no false motive. Anyways, very it was very helpful for me to, to listen and re-listen to that, and I'm I'm still doing it and I would commit it to you as well. But let's seek the Lord now and ask him to give us clean hands and a pure heart.